Hi, my name is Xu Gefei. Friends call me Fei. I'm a Chinese publisher based in Paris. I deeply believe that true communication creates an energy field between people. If we open ourselves up and establish communication on a soul level, it can lead to significant breakthroughs, nourishing both participants and listeners. I hope with these barefoot interviews, we can heal our emotional and childhood wounds, granting inner freedom and authentic power of the heart, helping you to align your personality with the purpose of your soul. Over the last fifteen years, I have encountered many fascinating people. But meeting Tihan a few years ago profoundly influenced both my professional and spiritual journey. Tihan is an authentic publisher. He's the founder of a highly recognized spiritual publishing house in France. He's also a talented author, renowned for his saga series *The Shaman*. He has a gift for spiritual public speaking. Not only engage people's mind and heart, his deep connection to nature and spirit allows him to speak directly to our soul. So, launching the first episode of my barefoot interview series, I'm so honored to have him here for me and for all of us. Hey, how do you say the English Tigran? I guess they pronounce most of the time Tigrain. Tigrain. Yeah. And.、Uh, You prefer Tigran? If you、mm. meet someone English, you would say, "My name is Tigran." If you <laughs> pronounce it the French way or the Armenian way, since it's a name from Armenia. Ah, Tigran is also the way of Armenian pronunciation. Tigran. Okay,、yeah. I did not know. <laughs> I have been dreaming of this interview, like for ten years. For me, for a Chinese woman born in '79, I feel like I'm the first generation since China exists, like for five, six thousand years, and this is the first generation of woman. I can walk with my、uh, no shoes and let my feet grow and just be myself. I can take off of the social. It's like all circle packaging and、uh, stay connected to myself and to nature. So I've been dreaming this barefoot interview as sort of a dream of creating a, a space between、uh, two person. But we are never two person. We all come with three hundred people behind. <laughs> <laughs> so if if we can create a for hour two hours a space,、mm-hmm. this space is like bubble. Between、yeah. you and me, and this bubble, I will not ask too many、uh, personal question, too much personal question. But what's behind the energy, you? But I want to create a safe place. I feel like I can grow, and when I grow, maybe what we share can help other people to grow. Nice. So that's the intention of creating the show, and so I, I should start with someone I really trust. Someone I feel totally safe to be、uh, barefoot, barefoot not only not only my feet but my heart and my my brain. I don't want to give myself any limitation. So although I prepared over a hundred questions, <laughs> but 
Then I just start with something simple and see where the flow go. Because if I prepare too much, the nature cannot get in. Absolutely. So my first question is, who are you? Um, I guess I am a man, <laughs> born uh, 1970 in France, in Paris. I've always been living in Paris. Um, my mother was from Armenia. My father was from mix of all Europe. Um, basically, uh, my life uh, restarted when I was five, six, seven years old with a series of um, spontaneous experiences that you would call sometimes ecstatic experiences, something that takes you beyond the border of normal routine, beyond the limits of what we call reality. As a child, you don't question so much these experiences. You just leave them, absorb them. You don't need to name them, but they change you forever. I have never <laughs> had that experience. Can you try to explain? Yeah, I can try, even though by nature, an ecstatic experience uh, cannot be fully encapsulated um, in words. That would be a much too narrow translation of that the nature of this um, mind-expanded experience, not only in the mind, actually, but also in the body. So my first spontaneous experiences, let's pick up one, for example, when I was six that I'm telling about in uh, one of my books, uh, Shaman. Um, I was um, in school basically for the first time because before I was living in the countryside, I was connected to nature for a couple of years, spending more time with animals, the water, the sand, the trees, than uh, human beings, actually. And so I arrived in Paris, which was a shock, obviously. <laughs> At six At years six, old? Uh, basically, yeah. And, uh, which part of France, sorry? So I was uh, near the, the Loire, you know, this um, wild, uh, large river where you have all the castles from the Loire. Yes. And um, there, there I had some experiences as well of connection with nature, feeling to get dissolved and to be one with nature, losing um, the perception of your own limits, losing or at least uh, softening a bit uh, the limits of your individuality in order to be one with the one. When I arrived um, in Paris, I went to school, um, which I managed to skip <laughs> when I was around the Loire. So I was a bit late uh, at school. And then um, I, we had a collective, you know, gymnastic uh, lesson uh, with groups and all the children uh, screaming, etc. I was not really so much part of this, but uh, I was still uh, playing the game and uh, I didn't feel so isolated. I was trying to blend in. And here comes this day where we have to climb up to the ceiling, uh, up to this rope, you know, like we all did uh, in this kind of collective gymnastic uh, physical activities, etc. And I approached this uh, rope, which is like a type of uh, ceiling um, uh, boat, uh, large hemp rope, you know, that is uh, like this double 
helicoidal shape okay. of uh, hemp fiber. And the moment I approached this rope, I had a kind of a certain sensation that the moment was important and that there was more in this shape than what I could actually see in the object I had to go up to the ceiling with. Um, I didn't pay much attention to this. Um, and once again, when you're six, you don't go so much in the When you say flow, you mean is this tortured the dimension for you to see or it's a special physical feeling? It's like if uh, it's a very visual feeling, like if you approach an object, which is this uh, double helix, uh, this rope, and that this suddenly triggers some archetypes, some sacred shape, some symbol, some geometry, which is ingrained very, very deep in you. You're not conscious of it. And it suddenly aligns some kind of unconscious knowledge with what you see in front of you. And this object kind of reveals that there is here a pattern which is beyond the object you're going to touch. And actually, it took me years to understand that this uh, double helix is also the one, obviously, um, of the antique medicine, is the one of the DNA, the double helix of the DNA. And of many other things, from little shells to galaxies, if you start to talk about vortex and spirals. Anyway, at this moment, I went there, and the teacher asked me to go and touch the ceiling. That was my first time ever, unlike the other guys there that had been already in school for a couple of years. So I started to <clears throat> climb up this rope, and the moment I approached the ceiling and was about to touch it, the world opened into two. <laughs> My head opened into two. Um, basically, everything changed, if not to say everything suddenly appeared to be the opposite of what it seems to be. Like the air, what is empty around us, suddenly seemed very full, very energized, like crowded with presences, shapes, geometries, symbols, lights, waves, vibrations, while the walls, the ceiling, all around what we call reality, the materiality, which is supposed to be solid, suddenly, in the glimpse of an eye, seemed empty, basically empty, like a cloud of little luminous dust, but more or less full of emptiness. So this didn't come alone. <laughs> it was not only the visual perception, obviously, because it's probably too much of a vision to be only a perception and only visual. What I mean is that at the same moment, I heard a voice, and this voice was and still is the most firm, the deepest, the broadest voice I ever heard. So this was in my head um, like a voice with so much wiseness, 
certain authority, maybe, so firm, so timeless, so ancient, and at the same time so present. And what I can decipher now from this experience is that even though that was the most firm, large, deep, and it was very impressive, obviously, voice I ever heard at the same time that was the most gentle, soft, and soothing voice, timber, I ever heard. What did he say or she say? Oh, that's a secret yet. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, um, in between the lines, um, share what this voice told me um, in the first volume, in the beginning, actually, of the first volume of the Initiatic series of, of Tales, uh, Shaman. I'm going through this experience because it was not only then the voice after the vision, but it became the body, all aligned, the three of them. So um, after the vision and after what sometimes um, we can call in French clair audience, like um, hearing clearly something which could not be recorded, <laughs> but that you do not doubt, like you don't question what you see from your own eyes in these moments, even though no one else sees it, because it seems like hyper-realistic. There's no distortion in reality, like the things don't get weird, or even though you see through the appearance of things, through the surface of reality. Then it came in the body, this alignment of the vision and the voice aligned with a physical ecstatic feeling, which was, if you want to say, like we say in French, appelé un chat, un chat. <laughs> you name a cat, a cat, to be a bit uh, straightforward. <laughs> um, this ecstatic feeling was like a type of um, orgasm, I imagine, that would not have no beginning, no an end, no a peak. It was like a suspended, timeless, infinite bliss that was pervading all my cells from head to toes, but not only the body, the spirit, because I was conscious of this experience with my six years old mind, and also the soul, that was, I think, listening carefully to this super voice, super soul, whatever you want to name it, doesn't matter the label, that was kind of supervising this experience. <laughs> oh, my God. You've, we've never talked about this. Well, uh, there's a couple of things we could <laughs> talk sometimes about. <laughs> And, um, but if you have experienced this at six years old, yes. what do you do with the rest of your life? Well, first, what do you do at this um, very moment? Because you're suddenly here and at the same time you're elsewhere and uh, you lose track of time and you don't hear anymore the noise and the voices and everything which is happening around. So I was there and I hadn't touched yet the ceiling, which was the goal of the exercise for the teacher. 
And in order of um, competition uh, with time and chronometers, etc., with all the other pupils. And suddenly I hear, are you going to come back down at last? And so I realize it's kind of waking me up that the teacher has been calling and recalling me for again and again to call me back on earth. <laughs> and that obviously I totally missed it because I was blended, merged, dissolved in this experience of unity and in this teaching revelation um, that everything that seems to be what it is is maybe by nature more the opposite of what it looks like, from emptiness to what we mentioned. And then I could hear all the voices of all the pupils that were cracking up and laughing their heads out because obviously they all thought I was paralyzed, stuck up there, and I didn't have any notion of time. So I had no clue if it lasted 15 seconds or 3 minutes or 10. But I thank my body that um, it, it stayed, you know, <laughs> well anchored to the core, to the, to the rope, and then it brought me back to this reality, and uh, I touched the ceiling, and I went down and touched the floor again. But then I was different forever, I think. It's such a gift. Yes, it's a blessing, it's a grace, it's a before and after experience, something you will never forget, but also something you cannot betray. Wow. <laughs> wow. So you knew and felt and had this experience at six. So you knew all the way up when you're growing up. This is who you were, you are, and you will be. So did you stay in school? Did you <laughs> go through the worldly, recognized this game called school? Well, unfortunately, I, I didn't go back to the countryside. I stayed in Paris and, until today. Um, but touching the floor when I went down from this rope, um, everything was different and I could feel it in my body. For example, I was walking maybe more slowly. Everything and everybody seemed a bit far away, not faded away, but it didn't seem so important. I was not at all blasé or disconnected from this daily routine. It's just that I had permanently this kind of double perception that there is more than the eyes can see. There is more than the ears can hear around you. And then you stay with this kind of double perception all along, and this gives you a type of anchor, a type of rooting, and at the same time, maybe a type of opening that accompanies you. Um, to be more specific, you feel in your body of six years old, very, very not old, but very ancient. I, I think I know what you mean. I've never had this experience. Well, I, I, I left the forest when I was five. 
So we had the same kind of period in the nature. Mm-hmm. I did, when I came back to the city, which in a city in the middle of nowhere in Manchuria, I saw uh, in our apartment a um, fox, red fox. So one day I asked my mom, I said, Mom, did you see the fox just behind the, the, the chair and the, with, a, with a scissor in the, in, the, in the hand of fox, the red fox? A size of almost my size when I was six years old. And my mom said, don't worry. You know, I asked your grandmother to talk to her. It's the communication of it between the spirit of a fox with our grandmother. In general, she's taking care of the communication. <laughs> <laughs> then, then I got scared. Mm. I closed down. I shut down all the doors. I didn't mm. want to see anymore. Mm. What was I scared of? Of yourself? of the appointment you may be signed for even between to be incarnated here. doesn't matter if you believe in reincarnation or not. You can call also parallel lines, probable universe. The wording is not so important. But maybe you were scared because you knew here that there was much more to see and experience. There was a deeper meaning. There was the revelation of something much broader than what your brain had been educated, if not programmed and sometimes even conditioned for. So it's a bit like if you think you live in this um, three rooms flat, And suddenly one day you open the curtains and through the window your three rooms flat part of a little building of five floors transformed into a gigantic castle and you bend your head by the window and you try to look at the limit of the castles and obviously if a fox is appearing to you in such a psychomagical way Well, the limits of your reality, let's say this castle, is endless. You cannot even grasp it because everything you think you knew is suddenly shaken from head to toes. But I'm still afraid of seeing it again. I went to the a vacation house and I knew there was something in the, in the top of the room. But I just... I could... It's like I, even in dreams, I have these little fears, uh, big fears of little things. It's like maybe I have not awake, awakened yet. Maybe I can wait next life to be, um, to awake myself. Do I have to do this in this life? I think it's pretty much what you're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Am I? This is my way of awakening? Uh, I, th- I think, uh, you know, there is fear and fear. There is a, maybe you could say useful fear. If something is warning you that uh, when you have the choice between the left road and the right road, one, you don't feel like going this way, you know. Or suddenly you have to catch this plane, but somehow you really feel you shouldn't get it. This type of fear is actually not fear. This type of fear is a kind of inner compass of a sonar. Inner compass. And this inner compass is a very useful ally 
because it goes through um, timeless and um, way of uh, warning and delivering you informations that your brain, your mental is not equipped uh, to decipher or analyze. So it's like a guardian angel, if you could say. Guardian angel. <laughs> and this is going to tell you, no, rather this road, rather this one, no, this person, no, uh, you can leave now, etc., etc. This is more an intuition, uh, sometimes an instinct, what we call in French or in other languages, sometimes uh, the sixth sense or... Um, so it's not actually fear. What you are talking about this fear when you're a child, and it's uh, obviously quite understandable to be suddenly scared by something which is broader than your daily routine. It's not especially reassuring to see something you cannot explain, something that you haven't been taught to understand and accept because you're not part of these tribes or some people all around the earth where even young you're initiated to the fact that there is an entourage in the invisible world, that plants can talk. That plants can talk. Stones have a power. A stone has a power. Then trees are beings. Trees are beings that I know. <laughs> transmit you a type of knowledge which is much older and wiser than most of our training, education, and concepts. So all this, obviously, can be a bit disturbing. But maybe the main teaching of this fear is that there is nothing to fear but fear itself. Meaning that if you feel this fear at this moment, this is maybe more a sign that there is something important here for you. Maybe this fear that you feel and that you think, oh, no, my God, I, I don't want to see that again. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shut down this perception. I'm going to close the door, the window. I'm going to go back to normal life. I'm going to stick to my mother. Well, maybe this fear is there to tell you That's where I'm I should here try. for you. This thing you're feeling here that scares you, maybe sometimes in the solar plexus or the sternum or the heart chakra, whatever you want to call it, with electricity and an adrenaline rush going from toes to head, etc., is maybe in between the lines warning you that something is important there, meaningful, that you have to go through it. Maybe this fear... In other words, is telling you, come to me, have the courage to go through me, have the courage to walk towards and pervade this illusion of danger because what expects you behind this fear, what is waiting for you behind this fear, once you've gone through it, once you've manage to overcome it is yourself your broader self <sighs> mm. that's maybe why in so many traditions from um, shamanic cultures to healers to some spiritual traditions and not only all around in exotic continents, etc., but also in Europe, also in France, also in our own regions, uh, 
You have lots of uh, rites of passages, initiations, etc., that have somehow part which is challenging. And this fear is maybe part of the process because once you overcome it, instead of submitting yourself to a smaller, more narrow version of yourself, you have the strength, the courage, the motivation, the intention, the self-confidence, and more than the self-confidence, the faith to overcome it and to become who you really are. I get it. It's funny. I was asking who you are, and then we came back with who I am. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. We were talking about you after six years old. You... I'll meditate on what you just said and rehear re it, the podcast, for 10 times to get all the underlines you were saying. And, but come back to you. If you knew the whole thing at six, Sadhguru, you know, the spiritual Indian yes. leader said something. He had it also very close to what you just explained. Is that why you became... A family publisher? What do you do today? Is it related? Uh, how did you get from... Did you talk to your parent about it? Any, anybody around you can comprehend? Once I went down from uh, this uh, rope and this ceiling, which actually, as you understand, was transcended to appear to be paradise on earth, maybe. <laughs> Um, or a glimpse, a taste of paradise on earth. Um, I was, as I said, a bit uh, changed, modified, etc. So first, uh, before to go back home and talk to my parents, um, I could notice that I needed to sit down, not on a chair, but on the floor, talking about being barefoot, <laughs> talking <laughs> about making feet on the grass. I really needed to sit down and not on any, anything, um, seats or whatever. And then I suddenly understood I was so quiet. I was observing everything. I didn't feel like talking. I was just marinating in this aftertaste of something that had recalibrated everything um, uplifted frequencies, vibrations, and opened doors of perceptions that even if to survive in this three-dimensional reality and daily life, you close again some diaphragma, some perceptions, some doors, Co nevertheless, there's something that remains. It stays in the background like, uh, you know, not the visible part of the iceberg, but um, the underwater part, except that instead of not seeing it, because in this reality, either you see the top, either you have to dive to see the hidden part. 
But then you have like one eye above the surface and the other eye below the surface. And so you have this small global picture permanently that reveals you that everything is double. If you have one side in a page, you have the other side, a recto, a verso. And not only a recto and a verso, but a day and a night, a masculine and a feminine, etc., etc. So then um, you still um, do a bit like everybody, except that you're maybe much less excited by the daily agitation, the daily frenetic behaviors, etc., because somehow you don't so much believe in them. You see it as a comedy, as a scene. It's a bit like if um, you've been living all your life, this is your life, your parents, the people you know, what you know about the world, etc., where you travel, and suddenly this whole life, it's a theater scene. And around this theater scene, there are logials, alcove seats, a whole hemicycle of people watching from the invisible. People that are supposedly dead, but that are very much alive, <laughs> just that they transited to another state, another vibration. People that used to be your great-grandparents, etc., who are absorbing you, who are ready to help you, who are being there as benevolent helpers for you, if you ask for help, because they would not interfere if they are not requested, if you don't clearly set up an intention. And more than this, you see that this whole life, there was this curtain, that, that behind this curtain, like at the opera, like at the theater, there are so many people working. <laughs> there are so many machines, so many unbelievable that you cannot even talk about um, the, the, how prodigious, how fast, how magical, how ever-changing are all these machines and changes and plans and dynamics that are all taking care of what we call reality without sometimes having a glimpse of any of this for your own life. So obviously it makes you a bit um, different. Like uh, to start of this moment, I could never... Never ever, to answer your question about is there a relation with what I do today, to be a writer and a publisher, um, yes, I could not anymore being part of a group and having the feeling I was part of a group, like I belong, I identify to whether it's uh, politics, social, uh, sport, etc. I could participate, but not identify to this. I could identify to the upper realms, I could identify to the trees, the plants, the animals, the stones, the elements, the people around me in another fashion. Why? Because after the dissolution of the limits of your ego and the perception of your own individuality, the other people are not really ultimately other people. They are you. 
they are other drops of the same ocean where you belong. They are other aspects of the source. We have one common source. So how could you suddenly really think about hurting someone else? That, that, I, that I get it. When I see someone suffering, I feel they suffer somehow. Yes, exactly. So you lose totally what we are trained for, you know, this competition and, you know, all this thing regarding... But society is contracted, constructing mm. these bricks. But there is another civilization <laughs> which is very subtle because it has many layers and uh, if not civilizations that are not built on this competition, more on cooperation. The person who's talking today with me, your brain is talking? Is it your soul is talking? Your heart is talking? Who is talking to me now? Well, Tigrain is talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Who is talking through me? Is it a blend of uh, different sides of um, personality, different aspects of a soul? with some glimpses of an oversoul, with uh, some channeling oversoul. Actually, the wording and the labeling, um, I think, is not so important. And is it the spirit? Is it... Um, ultimately, it has to come from the heart. So I would rather, than insisting on the mental or the spirit, etc., I would rather come back to the most important thing ever, which is the heart, which is the power of love. Is this the inner compass you were talking about? The inner compass is the heart? This is wider than the inner compass. The inner compass is one of your tools, and you have dozens of different tools I have? that are ready to use. Of course, I why think nobody, everybody has. Why nobody ever... Taught me this. I don't because think I never it's, asked. It's maybe not part of the priorities of the programs in which uh, we usually evolve. Even though when you have an appointment with yourself, when you have what some people call a destiny, or when you have um, um, this uh, remembering that there is more to reality than what it seems to be, you're going to have one day or another something that's going to recall to remind you that you are wider than what it seems. So to answer your question, um, I had the chance to have parents that were both artists, a mother writer, a father painter. So they were not like people that would say, are you crazy? Forget about it. Uh, this is a lie. Are you telling rubbish? No, they would rather accept it because themselves, as a painter or a writer, Creative. had a relation with imagination, which certainly softened very much the limits of what we think possible and not possible, and beyond that, a relation with co-creating your own reality in certain aspects. 
Um, so I had the chance, yes, to be in this kind of um, environment family, if you can call it a family. <laughs> and uh, step by step, all my life, when I was trying to do what people were asking me to do, and to be more in compliance with the society, etc., I could feel something was going wrong, you know. I couldn't really believe it, um, this story. Um, I was feeling not really at my place. And every time there was nature, there was something magical a bit, whether it would be in a tale, in a movie, and sometimes elevating vibrations like music, sacred music, for example, suddenly I was feeling more home. I was reconnecting with something that was in resonance with what I had experienced. Like if this thing you leave when you're a kid gives you um, like a fine tuning about something that you're going to look for all your life or when something is going to approach this kind of realm of dimension, you're going to recognize it. You're going to recognize it's in harmony or it's in sync or it's in relation with this deeper meaning, with this wider realm. So um, it's not very much of a surprise for me than um, after being in school and college, etc. What did I do? Uh, well, seven years after this experience, when I was 13, and uh, while I was um, actually trying <laughs> to be as normal as possible, even though it was not every day easy, why? Because um, my mother left when I was 10 years old, um, and so I'm sharing here something, uh, talking to your audience like I would talk to my very best friend. Um, she left saying she was going for five minutes uh, to the laundry with a, a bag of clothes. But she did not come back because she knew she was leaving the country. She was leaving France. So this feeling suddenly when you're 10 years old to be from one second to the other by your own um, is teaching you something for which... I bless <laughs> and I thank forever my mother to have exposed me to this event which on the spot was the worst thing I had ever experienced but with the time was one of the very best things I had ever experienced because suddenly it's teaching you not only that uh, that's the negative side on the moment, sadness, you cannot trust anyone. If you cannot trust your own parents, then who can you trust? But this is just the appearance of things. There's a much deeper thing beyond negativity. And that's the whole point, to stop thinking that this event, for example, and so many other things, have an absolute negativity polarity. They don't. It doesn't matter. What matters is the way you're going to react to it. It's what you're going to do out of it. The obstacle is not only an obstacle. The obstacle is also the most fantastic ladder 
the most fantastic trampolino <laughs> to overcome this illusion of something that's going to destroy you, impact you, or even kill you in order to make you stronger, a survivor, and someone who is going to go through this illusion of positive and negative in order to reconnect with self-powers, with your own capacity to overcome what seems to be so undesirable as one of the steps in your path to make you stronger, and as you say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, <laughs> but maybe also wiser until the moment that this illusion of what is bad and good will not remain this polarity, which is uh, such a reduction compared to the real dynamics that are working beyond this type of events. So, obviously, at the moment, that was not so funny. <laughs> it's, it's over beyond funny or not. It's, I couldn't imagine if I leave my son at age of 10. I mean, how, you destroy somebody with that, right? Well, maybe the person you most destroy is yourself then. I don't think it was easy for her, neither, especially with the time, the feeling of guilt, the feeling, etc., here comes something super interesting, that if you've been impacted by such an event, if the person who caused this has a feeling of guilt for years and years, I could stay, you know, angry and like, this is not forgivable. It is she not could, forgivable. She could stay... Hmm. We could talk about this. She could stay, um, emerge in this feeling of guilt and ruin our own life forever. And here comes one of the deepest gifts ever, forgiveness. Because if after a few years <clears throat> you realize that That's there was... I'm so sorry. <laughs> you don't have to be sorry. This I don't is, have to be sorry. I do feel. <laughs> this, the, the, the pain, uh, the sadness, etc., is on the scope of the theater scene we mentioned. Behind the curtain, this is not about the pain. This is not about the guilt, the regret. Behind the curtain, this is about having the broader picture that you and your enemy or you and your parent or you and the person who seemed to be destroying you at one point. Maybe you have a deal. Maybe you had a deal which is to give each other in this life an opportunity to grow faster, wider, beyond the limits of normality, beyond the limits of what you think acceptable and forgivable or not. This is a blessing in disguise because by then, with the years... I you couldn't believe you're smiling. With the years, you suddenly realize that if you remain sour, if you reproach anything, 
if you say stuck with this past event, which is not part of reality anymore in this ever, ever present, present, renewing present. Well, you are being hard towards yourself. You are imposing to yourself a pain and you are prolonging something which is not anymore. So that's first a teaching about present, going back to the present, here, now. Once this is done and this page is turned, after a while, what do you realize? That if you keep on reproaching to the person who did whatever, this is an example I give you, because this is one of the things that on the moment most impacted me, of course, because my parents were separated. They had separated each other when I was five. So I was living with my mother. If my mother disappears from one minute to another, what is happening since the father is not there, you know? So then you realize that um, (laughs) you go in an accelerated mode to become independent, autonomy, self-sufficiency. Yeah, and you grow faster. I don't mean that I wish this to anyone. I mean that it was part of my path and that I thank my mother and the existence for this because what came after was one gift after another. Why? Because once you realize that you are getting sour yourself, inflicting something against yourself by having reproach or by not forgiving, you can get free of that. And you can realize that if you really love your mother, this love doesn't depend on this situation. This love is unconditional. This love is love. No matter what happens, no matter what happened. And there you are at the gate of something totally totally new, which is that you had this more narrow mind, thinking that this was not forgivable, which would have ruined your life. You would have ruined it yourself. And on the opposite, you realize that, yes, you can forgive it. And you can love this person. Like you can send compassionate feeling to your enemies. Like you can love someone who abused you or was violent against you once you realize, once you understand that this poor person is still there. He's still struggling with this kind of thing, which is not part of who we really are. So poor person who still has to be violent and to think it has any advantage in being so. So you forgive, that's the first step. And once you forgive, there's a major door behind this forgiveness. And this is compassion. Because not only did you forgive, but then you start to understand the fragility, the weakness, the why this person had to do this. And by having this perception, you start to send back some love 
but a compassionate love towards this person, thinking that maybe this person at this moment didn't have the choice or that maybe on a broader scale this person acted like this because you made the deal prior to this incarnation to set up for obstacles and challenges that would be, even though tough on the moment, the biggest potential of accelerated transformation once it's overcome. Can this apply not only to um, your personal life between you and your mom, to nations or people to people? Um, it can apply to many people. Obviously, I wouldn't be an expert to talk about nation, but uh, obviously we are here in a type of uh, dynamic where the Russian dolls apply or the fractal reality. And meaning that the faster you're going to forgive, the better off you are. But if a nation invaded another one or uh, killed many people, can the people forgive? How can we send them compassionate love? If we do, we don't have gay, we don't have war anymore. You have to need. You need to have a broader picture of all this which purpose it's actually serving. There are so many things that seem so negative in the moment and that maybe with time and perspective, even though that was the most horrible thing, and it has this taste of, yes, on this reality, I agree with you, it's unforgivable. But on another reality, especially destiny, a spiritual level, you have to forgive. And you have to forgive in order to arrive to compassion. And once you are heading to compassion, you can help your enemy <laughs> to grow. And ultimately, that's your goal. Because you don't want your enemy to remain an enemy. No. In shamanism, you don't want dark spirit to remain a dark spirit. So what are you going to do? You're going to spend your life fighting back? This is endless. The evolution would rather be <laughs> to, once you have this broader picture, convert, if I might say, or show the way of the light to your enemy or to a dark spirit. Because maybe himself is trapped in this illusion of his own power in darkness or in negativity. And maybe that there is a higher realm of love that dissolves everything. Maybe there is a higher frequency of light that pervades everything, which is the source. Maybe that once you take out the light, there is no shadow anymore. But when you take out the shadow, what does remain? The light. So maybe you have people that are a bit lost <laughs> in, the, in their own ways and that the day that instead of being sustained in this fight back, enemy, rivality, opposition, etc. dynamics, they will be suddenly astonished because instead of seeing yourself as a victim, instead of seeing yourself as their own enemy, 
you're going to open your heart more than ever and you're going to embrace them in a vibration that pervades any possible negativity, they will just dissolve, vanish, surrender like the little children who was only waiting for love. <laughs> What you say is so important. If you say so. <laughs> And all the questions I prepared, the worldly question, it, most of them does not make any sense anymore. But I do want to ask some bizarre question related to the material world we are. What is the purpose of education? I really don't have the pretension um, to give you statements about um, general okay, for your own child. topics, um, even though I can answer for myself by my own self-experience and first-hand experience. Um, <clears throat> one of the purpose for me of education in our societies, if you want to be uh, concrete about where we live, would be to teach my own son, since I have a son of um, almost 27 years old now, to forget many, many things that he's been taught. To forget? <laughs> yeah, to unprogram, to uncondition, to, to somehow delete some of the brainwashing And rather than um, trusting always the left brain, the mental, or the few tools he's been transmitted uh, in school, to listen also to his heart, to his inner compass, to his intuition, to look out for synchronicities, for signs, whether in very, very everyday life routine as well as in magnificent uh, setups uh, to be more open to something that you cannot learn in books but which is part of nature or your super soul or creation talking to you giving you clues that yes it's the right person the right spot the right moment so to think out of the box and to become more free to feel rather than to analyze everything. Oh, my God. You are saying your purpose of education at the moment for your son is to unlearn? Well, now that he's 27, he's learning his own way and he's following his own path. Um, but uh, what I'm saying is that for years, what I've been trying to offer him Um, was to bring balance to what he would get from school in order to transmit him the self-confidence, the trust, if not the faith, that he has in himself all the answers that he can look for. That's beautiful. Mm. My son is beautiful. He is. I definitely <laughs> confirm that. <laughs> you look very different, though. Um, what is AI? Two letters. 
Yes. <laughs> That's all. That's all. <laughs> What's the relationship between AI and spirituality? Two letters. <laughs> A question. Yours. <laughs> okay. Um, what is biodiversity for, to you? What is sorry? Biodiversity. Biodiversity is not only um, in life itself; uh, it's also in culture. The biodiversity of rituals, of beliefs, of ceremonies, of behaviors. For me, it's part of biodiversity, like part of the biodiversity of animals, plants, humans, etc. What moves slower than what we detect as a movement, for example, stones, they still move. It's just you don't see them moving, really. So beyond um, the framing we've been given, like uh, as you know, in France not so long ago, a few years ago, an animal officially in the law, yes, in the fiscal Level. regulations, yeah. uh, was considered a furniture. Yes, a thing. A thing and a furniture was classified like a table. The same. That's incredible. We do yeah. see it's not a table. Twenty-first century, though. <laughs> so once you get connected beyond the limit of your own individuality, um, connected uh, to something so far away you cannot even touch, uh, like the sunset, or to a tree. You're gonna hug, or to the sand. You're gonna caress when you sit on the beach, to the water that is permanently moving, ever changing, doing this little vortex in front of your eyes, reflecting the thousands of little lights of this beautiful sunset. Suddenly, you have an expansion of your perception, where the trees that was there. It's not you who is looking anymore at the tree. You have the feeling the tree is perceiving you. The animal, the bird in the tree that you're looking, is not anymore so much of an animal. It's almost like a person who is observing you, feeling you, sensing you, who knows because it can read through you. Like this experience you can have with a horse, for example. In two seconds, and you feel naked as ever. Yes. There is not one glimpse, not detail of your thought or your feeling, or even your physical body and health situation that you can possibly hide from this horse. It's reading through you like an open book, and then you have the same thing with the plants, and you feel surrounded by all these people around you. All these beings that are expressing themselves, not through words, but maybe sometimes through not only energies, vibrations, signals, but also pictures in an expanded state of consciousness, where you can see that a plant is going to de deliver you a message, and that this message takes the shape of geometry, for example, and that you are going to understand something. Like a block of information that doesn't have to go linear, past, present, future, with a verbal construction that would take so much time towards realm that your mental cannot grasp anyway. 
but that this geometry in movement is transmitting you a teaching that makes totally sense, which is enlightening, and that you're going to take years to unfold and understand with your left brain and put into concept and words, and that obviously, hopefully, you're going to then share and retransmit to other people, for example, through books. So here comes the publisher and the writers because after these experiences that started when I was five, six years old, maybe even before, maybe I cannot remember them, maybe they were too wild to be remembered today, and after this 30 years, I spent meeting healers, shamans, but also midwives, <laughs> also... Midwives? Uh, yeah, midwives. Midwives are not only women who are uh, giving birth, uh, helping a mother about to give birth. Midwives um, also sometimes have the art to move the lines when there's an emergency. For example, uh, when the baby is coming but not the right side and that the mother suddenly thinks she's too narrow and start to lose self-confidence, that it's so important to go back to a level of self-empowerment and faith beyond normal confidence, beyond physiological reality. This type of midwives can suddenly change the lines and transform a um, situation that could seem tricky into a happy ending. So the midwives, because today lots of people are talking about the first shamans and talk a lot about men, etc. But I wonder if the first shaman were not first shaman woman, and if this first shaman woman were not, for example, the midwives of the past, of our past history, because it's such a key moment, it's so important for the tribe survival, for the future generation to make sure that both the baby and the mother are going to survive. And when you are an expert into this gate entry towards this world of the baby about to come. When you become an expert of this opening gate, of this portal, doesn't you, don't you also become an expert in calling some energies, um, working with some spirits, with some helpers, with the invisible, with this self-empowerment that is going to be so useful at the other extreme of life, meaning when you're about to depart, when you're about to die. And these midwives then, the most qualified people to also accompany someone which is at the end of his life and why it's also very important that the person lives in peace, both for the people that remain and the generation after this person's departure and for the soul of this person also in order not to get stuck in the limbo <laughs> and in order to go as smoothly or quickly as possible towards our source, towards the light 
<laughs> oh la la! I was asking for biodiversity. You explained the whole course of your connection between lives. Um, do you? Oh my God! I have so many questions. Do you do you talk to animals? Do you yes. get information? Why do you live in Paris? I mean, you are so connected. Yes. Um, to speak the truth, to be as honest as I can, I, I'm very surprised to still live in Paris myself. Um, I thought to go to nature. I'm missing nature. I very much feel to to go there. But every time I was about to make this move, um, and still today, then there's this little voice, if not big voice, that comes back to me and that say, "You stay at the very heart of this." Tempest in which we are right now. Tempest <laughs> of this kind of hurricane because we are in the middle of a type of hurricane, even though it's what is not hurricane? Visible. Well, you have the natural phenomenons, but you also have other phenomenons uh, in society today, economy, etc., etc. So, without opening um, these doors, um, lots of things are. Um, Shaking right now, changing, transform, need to transform, etc. Metamorphosis, crises, crises of evolution, etc., etc. And uh, since a couple of years, it becomes more and more visible, not only in the natural world but also in town, society, etc., etc. On all levels, probably. So while we are this very Both challenging and exciting time of history. Um, this voice keeps on telling me, even though you go and reconnect to nature, and swim in the salted water, <laughs> and go to these waterfalls, etc., etc., go in the trees, in the forest, go barefoot here and there, go and touch this stone, this natural cave, etc., etc. Basically, on your daily life, you remain in Paris at the heart of this thing, which is so busy and so, in appearance, opposite to what you cherish and are attracted to. Oh my God! Because from <laughs> this spot, you need to spread some of the thing you can share. Tikhan, I have the same voice. Mm. No, I came just came back from Beijing. I had the same voice. This is a place I should be.、Uh, although I'm suffering from the pollution, I'm suffering from the disconnections. But I have the same little voice who's telling me, "No, no, no. This is the place you're supposed to be because this is the light. This is where it, where it, it's happening. Cannot leave this place."、Mm. <laughs> oh. It's maybe where you're most useful to help other people as well. Probably.、Um, today. Do you feel peace inside after all the events and the people and things happened? Do you feel peace? I wouldn't feel peace. I would not be here. And how? I have this theory. Most people would would say it in the ecological way. There are three things. Maybe one thing combined is three. But you have the challenge of peace on the planet today. The, The material world, okay. You have the challenge of、uh, climate change, 
challenge of the lack of biodiversity and they can combine to the challenge of having a protecting life or if there's no biodiversity, there's no enough food. If there's no uh, solution for climate change, there will be immigrations and wars. So the whole challenge of today, how can the world find peace? <laughs> how can you find peace? Me? That's the first question and that's the first step. I'm doing what makes me peaceful. <laughs> As the other was saying, think globally but act locally. It starts by yourself. Be the change you want to see in the world. I love Gandhi's sentence. Um, I'm trying to practice it. It's not that easy to find peace inside. I'm not fighting anyone except, yeah, I, I, I know. Okay, I, I, I get it. Um, do you have many friends? What, what do you, how, could you, how do you choose your friends? Do you only choose friends that have the same worldview? Who are your friends? You. I'm your friend. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm so blessed to be your friend. So many animals. Um, I would dare to say a few stones as well. <laughs> <laughs> so many trees and uh, yeah, a few friends. Uh, not so many friends because I spend lots of time alone. Um, but I don't choose them. They are part of um, the blessing and the happy events of life that sometimes seems to be a simple coincidence. And as the poet was saying, there's no such thing as a coincidence, only appointments. <laughs> Ah, wait, they're only uh, appointments. And that makes sense to our encounter, by the way. Um, how, which, which part of your energy or body do you activate to communicate with the plants, stones, or plant uh, animals, with the horse? Which part of you is communicating with the, the other li living? I have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. Because okay. I don't think there's a part. I think it's a very it's global a process. Okay. Today, uh, what makes you happy? Uh, right now being here. <laughs> <laughs> um, any glimpse of light coming from the sun in between two clouds and suddenly bringing a warm caress to my cheeks is enough to make me very happy. Well, we all have that gift, right? Indeed. Can people who suffered a lot from their childhood, we cannot all overcome them, right? You are exception when you talk about a different, dif different difficult moment. I have mine. People have their own self-trauma or moment that's hurtful or really they couldn't get over it. How can we really get... You have your conscience. I mean, you are quite exceptional in our world. How could a normal person living in the, in the middle of um, Jakarta or Beijing or, or Hong Kong or Japan that they can liberate their own Childhood um, drama. Trauma. Mm, I don't think I'm exceptional. It's just we are at different moments and uh, different parts um, of, 
the boards, etc. And uh, we're here also to transmit and share what helped us in our own evolution and understanding in order to help other people to maybe um, gain some time, self-confidence, clarity, and move forward without losing too much time and energy. But basically, it's always the same question. What makes you feel better? Is it really to repeating yourself this thing about this trauma of childhood? Is it to try to see it differently? Is it to, for example, and that's the power of imagination, replaying this terrible event and instead of reliving it for the hundredth time and having this loop of the trauma reinforcing is right. That's wrong. You cut it. You take a deep engagement towards yourself, a sacred deal between your spirit, what you control, etc., and your inner child, if you want to call it that way, or your soul. And you really promise to yourself that you will never, ever, once again, repeat this picture, this emotion, this recall of this scene that doesn't make you feel better. So why would you? Whether it's words, whether it's an image, whether it's a belief. Finito. Never anymore. What you're left with is a white page. So, what's the power of the mind then? The power of the mind would be, for example, in your imagination to say, and it's not being in denial or whatever, it's being a creator and it's triggering some magic in the invisible realms and in the connection that this event left with some links towards these people, whether they're still alive or not. And you connect with this other person, for example, who was violent to you or doesn't matter. And you say, okay, I'm going to replay this scene now because what I want to do is to feel better. Obviously, what else? That's the whole point. And what makes me feel better? Well, for example, to imagine not that it didn't happen, but that if we were meeting now on the soul level, or on a parallel line, or in a probable universe, or in a future reincarnation, whether it doesn't have to be future, actually, you would replay this scene differently. So you connect with this person. I had uh, myself terrible moments with my father, linked to violence and alcoholism, etc., which I suffered from being a child. And then my father, not so long ago, a couple of years ago, was about to depart. So I did this thing to replay all these scenes and trauma and I had in mind because I definitely wanted to be as open, soft, gentle, loving, caring, compassionate towards him when he would leave. And so I replay this scene. 
I think you replay them self by forgetting them because sometimes it's too violent and you choose amnesia. Avoid it, yeah. And so I replay them and uh, step by step, I imagine scenario that were um, very pleasant and meaningful both for him and me, like if on a soul level we would agree to choose another probability. And once you do this work with imagination, but not only with the mental, that you feel it physically. You have to feel it in your body. You have to incarnate, integrate it. Obviously, you're totally different towards the person, and you can arrive to this very same person, embrace the person, being gentle and loving and caring towards this person. And the person is melting down because the person feels that there is no more reproach. There is no more guilt then on his side. And there is no more bitterness on your side. And then what do you have? Love. Love. <laughs> I, I do see the gift now. I do see the, my grandfather, what he did to me. It was a gift in the soul level. And his spirit is actually very proud of me because I created a publishing house and uh, he told me I was nothing. And by this revenge, he showed me a way, mm. in a way, but I mm. didn't get it when I was six. Mm. But now I, I do get it now. Mm. And I do feel a lot of um, gratitude because he forged somehow for me to accelerate to where I'm supposed to go. Of course. Yeah. Um, by the way, creating a publishing house is not the... Um, you spend... Uh, anyway, I spend uh, 70 times of my time doing the things I don't like and only 30% of my time I think I'm doing things I love. So um, it's, not, it's never a single easy uh, ride. Um, I go back to what you said just now when you talk about reincarnation now in the past or in the future. Why did you, I mean, if you had a, um, for, for this journey of this life, you woke up at six. So what's the whole purpose of this journey? Then we can talk, talk about the future incarnation or the past, but this one, what, what was the, I don't like the word keyword because it's really symbolizing like the glass is not the glass. What the, the, mo, the letter of glass G-L-A-S-S does not mean the object of glass, but I'm just trying to use the, the symbolic energy to understand why did you come. You don't have to find the perfect keyword, but what was the intention before you come? Hmm. Um, if such a question can be answered, um, I would probably think that um, you come to replace something you didn't overcome like um, if you failed <laughs> um, at this or that if um, this default this challenge uh, was not properly um, overcame etc you replay the scene and you replay with members of your family and sometimes you change the relations and you change the inner geometry of the family, the relation, couple, male, female, parents, children, etc., in order to 
enrich uh, the biodiversity of this ever-changing configuration and to give you several opportunities to finally go beyond fear, finally go beyond betrayal, finally go beyond the weakness, the lie, this and that. And then you can maybe at the end uh, reach a um, certain level of consciousness uh, with all humility, um, but where you start to feel that, for example, a lie is lying to yourself first. It does not work. On another level, the other person to who you're lying knows perfectly you're lying always. So it doesn't Same as make the violence, sense. yes. So all this doesn't make sense because all this that would not apply, that wouldn't have a meaning within the perspective of the source is a waste of time and energy even in this dissociated type of incarnation. I actually get it. I actually get it. <laughs> Um, you answered my question before I even asked it. Is that what the plant told you before we start? <laughs> um, the plants have their ways. <laughs> Today, what was your last thought? I mean, often between, before you go to bed, what, before you sleep. What, what was, what often is and was your last thought that keep you awake or for you to fall asleep, you think about that before you? I think it's related to something that whether you're a believer or not, religious or not, it doesn't matter. It's uh, far beyond that. Something you would call maybe praying oh. and the intention to receive within the dream state, some teachings, connections, energies that are maybe too subtle, deep, wild, or magical to be handled within our daily life. That's wonderful. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful prayer. It's like we had a lot of uh, lesson or gift during the day. And before we go to another uh, universe, when we fall asleep, And uh, we ask for some teaching and um, message. Well, that's wonderful. I'll try from now today. Um, I'm sure you have a direct telephone with your inner child now, <laughs> with all years of practice. What is this little Tikhan today at the very moment? What he wants? What he feels like? Saying or going or doing or playing? Simplicity and harmony. Simplicity and harmony. Yeah. Simplicity in terms of business, materials. What, what, what kind of simplicity? In terms of simple is best, in terms of uh, sometimes less is more. Yeah. I'll take my jewelry off. <laughs> okay, less is more. Simplicity and harmony. Harmony with who? With what? Everything. I think there's no limit um, in an inner child um, perception of 
um, his own well-being. Uh, you don't set up for limits and borders. You just are on the present moment and you are not uh, thinking mentally until where it goes. So it's the harmony of the whole field of now. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you still hate something or hate someone? No. No? It's finished? Do you still struggle with something? Mm, talking about hate, I don't think it even started. <laughs> okay. All right. And um, a lot of my um, spiritual, intellectual friends, especially in France, they all have this challenge of money. Like the, one of my friends started a foundation in Shanghai for, for the, the Green Revolution. You know, it's like they feel like money, we should not have money if we are spiritual or we should not be rich because being rich, at least in French language, in French culture background, like everybody has a problem with money. What do you feel about money? What, what, what is money? I'm not an expert in money, um, so I could repeat things you probably already heard. If today we have another perception of it being more an energy and a flow than something that has an absolute value in itself. Um, what surprises me is um, the way um, we are sometimes being taught that um, if you have money, you're not pure, um, etc., etc. I've been living also as a child with um, some artists around, whether you have some artists who don't have a problem with money, but some artists, like both my parents, that were definitely applying this belief that to be a pure artist and a free soul, somehow you have to be poor and not being compromised into money issues, strategy, financial uh, assets, etc. Um, there's obviously more to it. Um, what strikes me is uh, this thing you see in 99% of situations of both a legacy or separation, like a divorce, or a legacy like heritage, like someone who's dying, etc., is um, that the majority of people usually seems to be more attached to money than to peace in between a couple who gets separated or in between the different children of someone who passed away, which is very weird because obviously nothing of this will survive. Nothing of this materiality will keep an everlasting value somehow. <clears throat> While relations do survive. Even beyond. Relations have um, timeless nature, which is uh, the richness, the challenge, the meaning of all these interaction and connections. So um, basically in that perspective, money is always, is often, sorry, not always, is often a trap, an illusion 
towards which people get overattached. And by this step, they sacrifice something which has much more value, which is obviously the quality of the relations. There's a saying, you know, that in French you say, tu ne l'emporteras pas au paradis. You will not bring this money or property, whatever, to paradise. But your personal issues, the evolution through relations, challenges, etc., most probably, yes. That's true. That's so true. Would you be comfortable if you are very rich? We'll have to try this first. Um, if you could today talk to the Tigran when he was 10 years old, what would you say to him? Don't worry. It's going to be okay. Yeah, it's going to be okay. And uh, if we are hearing this podcast like a time's capsule, in time, in uh, 2,123, uh, 100 years from now, and somebody was listening to the podcast. What would you like to say to the person who's listening to the podcast 100 years from now? Thank you for your time. <laughs> we are still here. <laughs> um, and we do enjoy very much this moment. Um, what was the longest lesson? I mean, the lesson that took you the, the longest time to learn? I'm right in the middle of it now. What does it mean? I think the lesson never ends. Oh, the lesson never ends. <laughs> um, so do you believe you created all your reality? Or at least co-created, Yeah. And that um, from a broader perspective or your soul or whatever, or pre-incarnated, or, um, the goal is not to escape to a challenge, to some difficulties, etc., or something you didn't understood or you didn't understand or overcome, or, but rather to play and replay it uh, in order to, at the end, whether it can be more or less long for different people, finally you go through it. Finally, you integrate the lesson and finally you manage to transform um, any challenge and obstacle into an opportunity to grow towards who you really are. On your death stone, if you have one, what would you like to see writing on it? All my what? On, death on my death stone. stone. Yes. Um, maybe no word, maybe a sun. A sun, like the sunshine? <laughs> For example, yeah. And what is our next incarnation? If you get a whole lesson, everything you want to experience, maybe you don't need it, like next one, but if you... If you would like to try another one, what, what would it be? Hmm. I'm very fascinated by this incarnation. 
uh, feel extremely blessed um, to have the son I have, for example, the friends I have. Um, so I would maybe just um, go align with this, um, having uh, maybe some more shortcuts, this life being already experienced, towards simplicity and harmony without so much struggle before. Um, what is our superpower? Being alive. <laughs> That's a superpower? But well, yes. we, are, we are all alive. People listening to the podcast, they are all alive. Yeah, we all have superpowers. But uh, I mean, gift is something that for you, it's very simple to do. But for maybe somebody else, it's really difficult to learn. For me, uh, it's communication. I realize for my brother, he spent four years to learn German. And uh, he still couldn't speak fluently German. But for me to learn English or French, it's just easier, like, like a gift. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess uh, there's maybe something in between um, communication, a few things with the hands, the movements, um, energies, um, transmitting, sharing, etc., etc. When you talk about the hands, what about the hands? Oh, I don't think the plant next door gave me yet the authorization to <laughs> confess this. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, la, la. What do you think or feel about China? I don't know. I'm not um, at all an expert on all these global um, situations and... Uh, I just um, know that uh, I've experienced very different type of uh, Chinese music, ancient music, the very different type of Chinese food, <laughs> <laughs> very different types um, of uh, translated literature, paintings, etc. And that's, it's almost overwhelming of uh, diversity. Um, But a part of this, um, you are the one to ask <laughs> this question. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, what about books? I, I can feel when I touch a book since so many years of, you know, doing uh, books. When I touch your book, I feel it. In French, we call it habité. habité. Some soul in it. Mm. Sometimes I touch a book, this is empty. There's nothing in it. Mm. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about your books? Are you a shaman? Because the title is called Shaman. Okay. Um, if I were a shaman, I don't think I would say it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You are um, not a shaman in theory. These books... Um, yeah, we can see it from the um, video. These books are... The cover is so amazing. There's six uh, volumes of um, two cycles, two trilogy. There's um, the Mongol adventure. Uh, there's the Amerindian adventure. So there's a first trilogy happening mostly in Mongolia with flashbacks, etc., in France because they are initiatic tales. 
but all the flashbacks, souvenirs, etc., from the youth until today are exactly what happened to me. I didn't change the name, the situation, the dates. It's purely autobiographic. And this is interwoven with the initiative tale, uh, which gives me the opportunity to take the essence of what I've been living, experiencing, receiving for 30 years with uh, healers, shamans, but also people who are, like you say in French, magnetizers or barreurs de feu, like fire blocker, etc. Or, as we were saying, midwives, etc. Or people that would not self-label themselves or call themselves a shaman or a medicine woman or man of power, knowledge, etc. Uh, but also with or without plants, with or without drums, with or without animals. And so taking the essence of what I've had the opportunity to live and experience for 30 years on different continents from America to Australia, from Indonesia to Europe, from Russia to France, Africa, etc. To take really the core, the heart of it, the essence, and then to transmit it, not only with words, because words cannot contain um, these vibrations, this um, teaching with all humility for this, because I'm just a transmitter for that. I'm just a go-between, uh, a scribe or someone who received something Um, and so, like, words um, are not enough to share this. Well, maybe you have along the spiritual quest and love story that is interwoven in these tales, also moments uh, that are written differently, that appears uh, in Italic, whether it's a vision, whether it's a dream, whether um, it's a healing session, whether it's a trance, And uh, this is another type of writing, which is maybe sometimes more poetic with rhymes, a certain rhythm, etc. And uh, in the going from the left brain to the right brain, going from the spiritual quest, the narrative, the characters in Mongolia, in Arizona, in France, the flashbacks to these other worlds of vision, lucid dreaming, out-of-body experience, healing sessions, suddenly you trick the mind because going from one to another, one to another, the perception, the consciousness is not really comfortable in having one step in each world, in the visible and the invisible. And once you trick the mind that way, it's creating like an opening in between your mental, rational reading ability and your perception of the rhythm, the rhymes, the metaphor and the geometry and the versification of some sentences. And once you open the space in between, you transmit. You transmit, which is something beyond both the story and the vision, the dream, the teaching. It's a type of vibration that cannot be encapsulated in none of them, 
but which is the result of both of them. <laughs> C'est super. Mm. Merci. It's, it's, oh, wow. It's incredible you just answered my question before I asked it. Um, wow. <laughs> this, is, this is like a magic interview. We should do this often. Um, I, I've learned so much already as a friend from you. And today, your generosity of channeling, sharing, learning, and uh, teaching, it's incredible valuable for me. I, I, at the beginning, when I said we are going to create a long format podcast, People say, nobody's going to sit there and listen to two hours. <laughs> and your podcast, I'm going to myself listening at least 10 times. And uh, this one will be translated into Chinese for the podcast part. But I was looking for uh, the title of the books if we translate into Chinese. And you answered my question before I asked. That is so wonderful. Um, I love you so much. And... Uh, I think universe you exist. Thank you, Fei. I'm Hugo Fei, and you have been listening to Barefoot Interview. To support the podcast, please check out our sponsor, Les Editions Fei, Fei's Publishing. And for English version, you can search Barefoot Interview by Fei, F-E-I on Instagram, our barefoot interview on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Thank you and uh, see you next week. <laughs>